That song that we just sang and listened to during communion, wow. What, I mean, what, what powerful truth that we were, we were singing. Well, normally I would tell you to open up your Bibles to so-and-so passage, but we're, we're not going to open up to any particular passage because I'm about to preach the new mission statement. And as we will see here in a few moments, this mission statement is actually taken from multiple passages in the Bible, from Old Testament to New Testament. But before we get there, there's this three-letter word that I absolutely find fascinating, and that three-letter word is why. Everybody say why. Now, here's why I find it fascinating, because you can use that three-letter word for a variety of reasons, and you can have a different tone and a different facial expression for for them. Now, for instance, like you could you could pose a very serious question with why? Like why? Then, if you want to be very sarcastic, you could go why? If you want to be whiny, you can go why? If you want to be mad and upset, you can go why? If you want to be concerned, you can go, why? See, it's fascinating, right? Because you can use that three-letter word and you can have various facial expressions, various tones. And, and then when you think about the seasons of, of life, you have a lot of variety in terms of the questions you can pose with why. Like for a five-year-old, why can I not have candy, mom, for breakfast? Because we have bought you these fruity pebbles that taste like candy. That's what I always find, you know, strange, right? It's like, yeah, you, you can't have ice cream, you can't have candy for breakfast, but we bought you some fruity pebbles and some cocoa puffs because everybody goes cuckoo for cocoa puffs. Maybe, maybe you have a five-year-old that go, you know, that asks the question, why do we have two feet? I don't know. Why do we have two hands? I, I don't know. Why do we have two eyes? Don't know. Why do I have one mouth? So you stop asking questions. Talk less. Listen more. <laughs> maybe, maybe some 15-year-olds are out there going, why won't you buy me these shoes? Because they, they cost $500. That's why. Champ. <laughs> so, buy your own shoes. You know, kids are expensive these days. I do, I do remember in the Bible, you know, it, it, was, it was always said that the more kids you had, the, the more wealthy you were because you had more hands to work in the field. Well, in the 21st century, the more kids you have, the poorer you are. But they're still a blessing, aren't they? Amen. Amen. And then also, you know, you have a 15-year-old that says, why don't you understand me? Well, because you speak a whole different language. Like, I don't know what bussing is. I don't know what bet is. I don't know what sus is. I mean, sus is like suspect, but that, I understand. Like, that, that's not, that's not the, you know, or, 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 or chuggy. Don't know what chuggy is. So that's why we don't understand you. Also, maybe some 20-year-olds, they'll, they'll go, why I got to get a job? Because you're 27 years old. It's about time you do get a job. So, yeah. we, got, we, got some, we got some clapping going on there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and then you might have some 20-year-olds, they're, they're out there going, why has life got to be so hard and complicated? Because it's called adulthood. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> so you got some young marrieds. 
You know, any, any young marrieds out there? You got, got some young marrieds. I remember when Joni and I, we were, we were young married. I, I always thought when we went out to eat, to eat well, we got to share a meal. <laughs> and then Joni would tell me, because we poll. That's why we poll. <laughs> capital P, capital O, capital O, capital R. We poll. <laughs> so that's why we got to share a meal. Now, I don't know when that changed, but we don't have to share a meal anymore. Amen. I don't even have to share a dessert anymore. You know why? My wife's gluten-free. That was a great day for me. So, <laughs> Sorry, baby. It got gluten in it. Uh. So, uh, you know, middle, middle age, middle age, you know, we'll have, we'll have some middle age people. We got a lot of middle age agers out there, don't we? You ask the question. Why do my clothes not fit? Well, because you bought that bluebell banana pudding ice cream and you ate half a gallon. And it only comes in half a gallon. That's why. Like, did you know that bluebell started coming out with banana pudding ice cream again? It's amazing. Like, for so long, they had discontinued it. And this week, I saw it in Publix and I paid full price. Sure did. And then, you know, some of you oaks, and you're like, what, what's oaks again? Older age kingdom saints. Some of you want to know, why does everybody look so young? Because you old. That's why. You old. <laughs> now, and, and I, was asking, I was asking a couple of why questions, too, th- this past week. And one in particular I was asking yesterday. Yesterday, I had to ask the question, why do I got to go pick weeds? Because my wife looked at me, and she didn't even have to say anything, but the look that she gave me, I knew exactly why I needed to pick weeds. Because if I did not go out there with my wife and accompany her to pick weeds, I would not have a place in the bed last night. So I went out to pick weeds. Now, you, you, you might say, Josh, why, why, why are you talking about all of these why questions? Because again, it is a fascinating word that we begin these types of questions with. But, but not only is it a fascinating word, it actually is the first word of the most powerful and fundamental question in all of the world. You say, what's that question, Josh? Why do you exist? Why do you exist? Like, why, why do your children exist? Why does your spouse exist? Why does your marriage exist? Why does your organization exist? Why does this church exist? Like I said, it's a fascinating word, but, but actually it's a word that forms the most fundamental, foundational, powerful question that we could, we could ever ask. Why do you exist? Now I want you to think about that question though. Why do you exist? If we had multiple answers for that question, it would lead to confusion, chaos, and division. Oh, it's kind of like the world. See, we, we cannot agree on the most fundamental question that there is. Most powerful question, why do I exist And if you have multiple answers, it waters down that answer. And there's only one answer, as we'll see here in a second. And for the church, we know why we exist. Therefore, there should not be any confusion. There should not be any chaos. And there sure should not be any division. 
Because we'll figure out and we'll find out here in just a few minutes of why we exist. But to answer this question satisfactorily, because maybe you're engaging with us online and once again, welcome Ponce and Seminole County Jails and Bridges of America. So grateful for you all and engaging with us. But to answer this question satisfactorily, people have always been in search of a who. Because the why searches for the who. The why searches for the who, and the who's going to answer, the who is going to answer that question satisfactorily in your life. And so you gotta find the who if you're in search of the why. And here's the main point. The why we exist is founded upon the who brought us into existence. So if if you really wanna know why you exist as a human being, why you exist as an individual, why your marriage exists, why your children exist. Here, here it is. You need, to, you need to tether yourself to the who brought you into existence. And as, as we know, as people of the word, God brought us into existence. And then God brought your marriage into existence. He brought two people together, a man and a woman, and formed a one union covenant relationship. He brought you into existence. And then if you are a child, and at one point we all were a child, and we were fearfully and wonderfully made in our mother's womb. God brought us into existence when our, when our mom and our dad came together. And then this church, Northland Church, was brought into existence over 50 years ago. So if you want to know the why you exist, you need to tether yourself to the who brought you into existence. So with that, here's our new mission statement as Northland Church. Northland Church exists to glorify God as we participate in his mission of redeeming a people from all peoples by engaging neighbors and nations to be fully alive in King Jesus through the power of the Spirit. That's our mission statement. That's our why. Now, we will see next week what is our what. So this is why we exist. So what will we do to accomplish why we exist? But I, wanna, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but I do want to note some words in this mission statement before I unpack this mission statement. Uh, notice the, the Trinity is in our mission statement. I, I would challenge you, and I've, I mean, I've been looking at church mission statements for decades, I have not come across a church's mission statement that has the Trinity in it. And I find that strange because we are a people that believe in one God, but in three persons. Now you say, Josh, explain that. I really can't. It's a mystery. But we do believe that we serve God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and they are one God And they have different roles and responsibilities in the Godhead. And when it comes to our existence, uh, there there is the role and responsibility that God the Father plays, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in our existence and in our mission statement. We are saying that. So it's Trinitarian. That we exist to glorify God. We're fully alive in King Jesus. And the only way we can do it is through the power of the Spirit. And I'll unpack that here in a second. But also uh, note that is, it is biblical from beginning to end. 
So many mission statements, they'll just go to the New Testament. And I'm all for the New Testament. Love the New Testament. I'm also all for the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. Love both the Old and the New. But what we see from beginning, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, is, is the unfolding of God's mission. And our mission statement encompasses all of it. And then also neighbors and nations. It's local and global. So we're not just focused on Longwood. We're not just focused on Seminole County. We're not just focused on this, you know, on the state of Florida. We are actually also focused on the nations and then fully alive. Now, again, I'll unpack fully alive here in a few moments, but I want you to note the continuity between Northland 1.0 and Northland 2.0. We're, we're not trying to discount our history, erase our history. All, all we're trying to show is how, how we're praying for a, a fresh wind of God, a, a fresh fall of God's spirit on us in this new season of ministry and mission as we reattune our heart to his mission of why he has us here. So we're just continuing what he started. That's why it's just Northland 2.0. Now, I know what some of you might, might ask too. Where, where, where did this mission statement come from? Is it biblical? Yeah, it's very much biblical. Uh, here, here are all of the passages that we took into consideration as we developed this mission statement. So Genesis 1, 26 through 28, it was God's mission statement to Adam and Eve. Exodus 19, 4 through 6, God's mission statement to Israel. Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7, it was actually God's mission statement to Israel while they were in exile. Matthew 1, 21 is where we read that, that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Mark 10, 45, that Jesus came to give his life a ransom for many. Uh, Luke 4, 18 through 19, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He, he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to recover the sight of the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the, the favor of the Lord. And then Luke 19, 10, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. John 20, 21, the Father sent Jesus. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, that we're going to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them all that Jesus commanded. And then John 20, 21 again. So as the Father sent Jesus, Jesus now sends his disciples into the world. Acts 1, 8, that you will be witnesses. You will testify to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And then Revelation 5, verse 9, and chapter 7, verse 9, and then Revelation 21. What, what, do, what do those passages point out, Joshua? In chapter 5 and chapter 7, we read that there is a people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group that is a symbol before Jesus and in chapter 21, we see the culmination of time in the beginning of eternity when the new heaven will fall out from, from heaven and come to earth and it will be a new city, Jerusalem. And there it will be God's people, a people from every tribe, every tongue, every language, every people group. And so this mission statement, our new mission statement takes into account all of what God has been doing and is doing in the world. So with that, let me unpack. I'm just basically going to preach this mission statement, all right? So number one, 
We exist to glorify God. Now, glory means weight or heavy. It was used to describe a person's wealth, that their possessions could be heavy or not so heavy. Glory also means significance and greatness. Tim Keller talks about how the word glory is very similar to our English word matter. Because there, there's this element of matter that can mean heaviness, weightiness, but it can also mean significance and greatness. And so glory can hold both dimensions. Also, I want to mention that worship is different from glory, but it is connected. Worship means to ascribe worth to. You'll never worship something or someone that you do not see as significant, as weighty. That is the reason why we worship God. We see him as significant, the most significant being in all the cosmos. Why? Because he has always been. He is who he is. He is I am. He brought everything into existence. Therefore, he is all powerful. He is all knowing. And so... That's why the psalmist would say, great are you, Lord, and worthy to be praised. We gather together to give him glory, to praise him. And I just want us to know that we exist for God. God does not exist for us. When God created us, he created us for his glory, his renown, his significance. And he created us in his image that we might reflect him. And we know that the heavens, in Psalm 19, we know that the heavens declare the glory of God. But when it comes to image bearers who have been fashioned into his image and his likeness, God's aim has always been to fill the earth with image bearers who reflect his glory. Listen to Habakkuk chapter 2. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Well, how do you fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord? By filling the earth with his image bearers. Like all of us, I think we rode a vehicle to get here. And I have experienced moments in my life where my vehicle did not want to cooperate. And it's a very frustrating thing, isn't it? Very frustrating because you're thinking, you know how much money I spent on that vehicle for it to work? Oh my gosh, I'm still paying on it. And when your vehicle does not operate the way you want it to operate, you're frustrated and you have every right to be frustrated because you own it. It is, it, it is there for you and your use. You and I, we were created by God Almighty for his use and his glory. And he has every right to be frustrated when his image bearers do not operate according to his plan. That is why we aim to please him. We live for him. We want to listen to him. We want to be guided by him. We want to open up our hands for him. We want to tune our heart towards him. We want to open our mouths for him. We want to sing to him and for him. We want to breathe for him. We exist to give God glory. 
and he alone is worthy of glory. So we exist. So, so when you come here for a corporate gathering, it's not about you. The songs that, that are selected, they're not about you. We're not sitting there going, well, how can we please people today? No, we're, we're asking, how can we worship God today? Now, now, don't, now again, don't, don't get me wrong. Because part of mission is the contextualization of music in our heart language. So, yes, we want, we want to have you in mind. But, but you're just secondary. He's primary. And so, I've always liked to say this for years. Church is not a spiritual vending machine. But I know in our culture, we like to think of church being, now, I know what you're saying. Well, we don't use vending machines anymore because they don't accept cash. Some of them accept credit cards now. Amen. It's awesome. But when you go to a vending machine, you, you get to pick what you want. That's not why church exists. And the minute we start looking to put you at the center, we're no longer a church but a country club. Y'all all right out there? All right, all right. I'm saying some things that I haven't said in the last two gatherings, so you're welcome. Number two, we exist to glorify God as we participate in God's mission. Everybody say God's mission. That's why we exist, to glorify God as we participate in his mission. Now, I think I've told you uh, this several weeks ago or a couple months ago that I have been introduced to pickleball. And it actually is a really, really fun sport. But when I was first introduced to pickleball, it looked like a little miniature tennis court. That's what it looked like. But had a different paddle, different ball. And here's, it really is, it's different from tennis. So if I brought tennis, the rules of tennis, into pickleball, it would no longer be pickleball. And then if I have a pickleball paddle and a pickleball ball and I don't follow the pickleball rules, it's not pickleball. Amen? Okay. So when it comes to why we exist, if we don't know God's mission, we won't be able to participate in the reason why we were created. And so you say, well, what, what is God's mission? Well, I'm going to give you a brief synopsis of what God's mission is. But I would highly encourage you, if you are not here for our Made for Mission series, go back several months ago on YouTube, our channel, and you can look at that series. But let me give you a synopsis. So in Genesis 1, that's the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible. God creates mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so we were created, like I said, to reflect God's glory in all spheres of life. His characteristics, his attributes, and his nature in all spheres of our life. And then he told Adam and Eve, to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. And so in, in short order, we are to relate. So we, we are to be in relationship with others and ultimately be in relationship with him. We're to create. So we're to participate in some kind of career and vocation, even if it's to be a stay-at-home parent, 
All right, so we're, we're going to participate. So what we're going to do is we're going to take these raw materials that God has provided that he created out of nothing. He's provided them for us to make something of the world, to enhance the world. That's the reason why we have vocation. That's the reason why we have careers. So we relate, we create, and then we operate. So we become this now steward over the created order. And we are, we are to steward what God has given us. So we are to live our lives in every sphere of our lives under the auspice of God's lordship. So we are to relate, create, and operate. And so as God gives Adam and Eve this mandate of what it means to be image bearers, he puts them in this beautiful, flourishing garden and he says, have complete freedom in this garden with the exception of eating from this one tree, the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And he tells Adam and Eve, or particularly tells Adam, and he was supposed to communicate it to Eve, the day that you eat of this tree, you shall surely, well, surely enough, you have Eve and Adam, they eat from the forbidden tree, and then the eyes of both of them were open, and that they realized they were but Naked. See, I let y'all say that word because every time I say that word, I always say, I love it when you say that word. Yeah. So anyways, they just let y'all say it. Let y'all get the glory this morning for that word. So they realized that they're, yeah, what was it? They realized they're what? Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. And so there's the shame, there's this guilt as human beings because now sin has entered the world. Disobedience has entered the world. They have committed treason and rebellion against the most high king, the one who has brought them into existence. They turned their back on him. And so you would think, because this is what God did with Satan, Lucifer, when he was an angel, he kicked them out of heaven. And so, yes, God is going to kick them out of the garden, but he's not going to leave them on their own because he promises redemption. He promises reconciliation. He promises to reverse the curse of sin because he loves them. They've been created in his image. And so now God is on mission to redeem a people for himself. See, his mission was to create but they fail, they sin, they committed treason. Now he's on mission to redeem and you fast forward. And after the flood, God gives to Noah the creation mandate to be, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. And then you fast forward a few more chapters and you, you, you see this, this scene in Genesis 11 where there was just one people, one language, and they came together in this, this land called Shinar, and they, there they wanted, they wanted to build a city that, that, that glorified themselves. They, they didn't glorify their creator, but glorified themselves, and they wanted to have a tower that reached to the heavens to show them how, how great they were, how ingenious they were, how creative they were, but God, he sees their efforts, and he comes down, and he confuses their language, and so now you have the creation of uh, different ethnicities, and languages, and people groups, and now they are scattered throughout the world, but in Genesis 12, God's going to call a man by the name of Abraham, and Abraham, he worshiped many gods, just like many people do today. They worship many gods, but they're not by the same name. They may worship the God of materialism. They may worship the God of recreation. They may worship the God of vocation. They may worship the God of addiction and pleasure. So Abraham was this polytheistic worshiper, but, but God, the one true God, got a hold of him and said, Abraham, I want to save you. 
And I want to use you. I want to, I want to make your name great. And I want to give you descendants that are as numerous as the stars in the sky. And I want to make them a great nation. But here's the reason why. God wanted to make Abraham, his name, great. And his descendants a great nation. So that through you, Abraham, and your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. North, and you do realize that, yes, we exist for the glory of God, but also for the good of the world. We do not exist for ourselves. And it is with Abraham, God is now redeeming a people from all peoples. Because it's going to be through Abraham and his descendants where he is going to reach every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group as he is forming, as he is redeeming a people from all peoples. And then you continue to fast forward and you see in Exodus that now Abraham's descendants, they reach probably somewhere between one and two million people and they are enslaved in Egypt. And their cries reach up to God, and God remembers the covenant that he had made with Abraham. So he sends Moses, deliverer, rescuer, to his people. And Moses goes to Pharaoh, sings a song, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go. Yeah, so you're like, man, that is so weird. Where'd you learn that? Vacation Bible school. And so through signs and wonders and through the the 10 plagues, Pharaoh finally tells Moses, get out. And so he begins to lead God's people. And for 40 years, he leads them into the wilderness. And finally, as we saw last week, Joshua, he's tasked with leading God's people into the promised land. And the promised land was the land that God gave his people so that they might live under his rule and reign. So he gave them moral laws. He gave them civil laws. He gave them ceremonial laws that they might live as God's distinct people. And the reason why they were to be God's distinct people is that not only are they his treasured possession, but they are to be a holy nation, a distinct nation, and a kingdom of priests. Because every nation surrounding Israel, they were polytheistic. But... There would be a nation in the center of the world that was monotheistic, that worshiped one God, and everything revolved around this one God. And this one God was not just local, because one of the things that you do have in the Old Testament is that all of the other gods from all these other nations, they were local deities. But Yahweh, he was not local he was global and the reason why he was global was because he was the creator of all things and so they were to be a kingdom of priests mediating between God and the nations and and God had told them as long as you follow me as long as you are, are obedient to me you will enjoy long life in the land but the minute you begin to chase after these other gods, the minute you begin to put other gods before me, I will kick you out of the land. Well, just like Adam and Eve, Israel sinned and disobeyed and broke fellowship. And as a result, God kicks them out of the land, which is why you will read books of the Bible in the Old Testament like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, these are prophets that wrote during Israel's exile. And that's why I love Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, because even in the midst of exile, God has a plan and a mission for Israel. And the reason, another reason why I love Jeremiah is because what God tells Israel then is very similar to what he would tell us 
today. Because you do realize that we are exiles living in a foreign land. Even in the great state of Florida, even in the great United States of America, this is not our homeland. Our citizenship lies elsewhere. Our citizenship lies in heaven, part of the kingdom of God. That's where our name resides. We're just passing through, passing through. But as we pass through as exiles, here's what God wants us to do. Because this is what he told Israel. I want you to plant vineyards. So I, I want you to work. I, I want you to build homes. I want you, I want you to actually act like you're, you're living there. And then I want you to give your children in marriage. I, I want you to flourish here doing the basics of what it means to be human. And then as you live here, as you, as you cultivate, as you go to work, as you give your children off in marriage, and as you build homes, I want you to pray for the peace of the city. In fact, I want you to seek the peace of Babylon. Yes, I know that you see them as enemies, but I see them as ones that I have loved since the very beginning. And I want you to seek the total flourishing of Babylon. I want you to work for their good. And then you continue to fast forward and then you get to the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. And now the better Adam has come on the scene, the better Israel has come on the scene and his name is? And he has come to save his people from their sin. He has come to be the perfect sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice for the sin of the world. He has come to seek and to save that which was lost and so at 33, he is put on a cross. And prior to him being put on the cross in the garden, he said, Lord, if there is another way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, yours be done. And some of you might want to know, well, what, what's that cup? Was it the cross? No, it wasn't the cross. Well, was it the spikes? Uh, was it the nails that were driven through Jesus' hands and feet? No, it wasn't the nails. It was God's judgment and wrath that was poured out on Jesus. That was the cup. God's wrath was the cup because it was on the cross. Jesus took the wrath of God for us. We should have been on that cross. We should have been the ones that absorbed the wrath of God. We should have been the ones that were, that were destroyed. But no, Jesus, the Son of God, perfect sacrifice he absorbed the wrath of God so that we could be reconciled to God that's why Jesus came so his blood his life for ours that's what killed him the wrath of God killed him he breathed his last he was buried but he didn't stay buried because three days later he rose from the dead He's victorious. He is the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. He's the cosmic king of the universe who died for the sin of the world, was buried, and then rose again. And then for 40 days, he's telling his disciples, this is what I want you to do. It's this worldwide mission. This worldwide mission was connected to Abraham and actually was connected to the very beginning because God wanted to fill the earth with image bearers who worshiped him and demonstrated his glory in all spheres of life. So I want you to go to all nations. I want you to make disciples of all nations. I want you to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world because God is on mission to redeem a people from all peoples, to reflect his glory 
in all spheres of life. Church, that is the mission. That is the mission that we are participants of. Man, and it's a glorious mission because it started at the very beginning with Adam and Eve. And then the last point of our mission statement is this, by engaging neighbors and nations to be fully alive. Well, just the, the sheer fact that we put fully alive in here, it actually means at some point we were fully dead. The Bible talks about how we as human beings, we were dead in our transgressions and our sins. You can read about this in Ephesians chapter two, verse one through six. So we were, we were fully dead. We, we were not alive. We were, we were truly of the walking dead. I've never seen that show, but we were, we were walking dead people. We, we were enslaved to our sin. We were rebels with a cause to glorify ourselves, to live for ourselves. But what you read in Ephesians 2, but because of God's great love for us, hallelujah. God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Which is why, listen, I am so passionate. I told the staff this. I am so passionate about Jesus because when I was eight years old, Jesus saved me and I have not been the same. And I constantly, I'm constantly in this process of being formed and conformed more into the image of Jesus. And so when, when this past week when I was talking to the staff about salvation, here are some words in the Bible that talk about salvation. You are redeemed. You realize that we, we were in a place where we were enslaved. We had a debt that we could not pay. No matter how rich we were in good works or rich we were in possessions, there was no nothing that could get us out but Jesus could and he paid the debt that we could not pay we've been redeemed we are delivered we are reconciled we were separated from God but because of Jesus we have now been brought near to God we have been reconciled in relationship we are freed now in King Jesus we are raised to new life in King Jesus we were old we were dirty we were messy but in Jesus we have been made new we have been cleansed we have been forgiven we have been made Made alive. That's what Jesus has done for us. And it wasn't like he, he, lo he looked at us and went, oh my gosh, look, look at how wonderful you are. No, look at how wicked you are. Look at how evil you are. Look at how sinful you are. But I love you too much to leave you like that. Um. Gosh, there's so many things that's coming through my mind right now. I want to say them. But, um, I, you know, I talk about shame and guilt a lot. Just, I want you to think about, about this. And this, again, this, this, I have not said this in the two other gatherings. But if you try to overcome shame and guilt on your own, you will find yourself in a never-ending struggle with shame and guilt. But Jesus, in our shame and in our guilt, redeemed us, changed us, transformed us, forgave us. 
ransomed us, delivered us, freed us, gave us his righteousness, gave us his heart, gave us his blood so that when the Father looks at us, we don't have to be ashamed. You're welcome. And um, so fully alive means at some point we were fully dead, which then still means that there are people out there fully dead. And, but, but here's the thing. We will not engage them unless we've been changed. Only people who have been made alive go after those who are dead. The reason why there are dead churches is because they have either forgotten that they have been made alive or they're not alive. And then, it, it, then it's an oxymoron to say a dead church because if it's a dead church, it's not a church. But you won't engage unless you've been changed. And because we've been changed by Jesus, we want to engage others. Let me say that again. If you have been changed by Jesus and you have his heart, you have his nature, you want people who are dead to be made alive in Jesus. And so as we participate in God's mission to engage people, that means we're going to reach out to them, befriend them, talk to them, teach them, encourage them, exhort them, challenge them, plead with them, reason with them, share with them, show them, care for them, love them, serve them, help them, and disciple them. So we're going to do that to people who are dead, but guess what? We're also going to do that to people who are alive. Because what we're doing is aiming for being fully alive in King Jesus. And notice I said king. Like, like, like Jesus isn't the president. You, you don't vote him in and out of office. No, he's the king. We don't live in no democracy. We live in a theocracy as the people of God. And there's only one who sits on the throne. And guess what? It's not me or you. We don't have a, a, a cosmic butler or a maid. We don't have a cosmic genie where we just rub Jesus the right way and we say, we want this. No, 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 no. He's king. Everything revolves around him. And well, Josh, what do you mean by fully alive? Well, the only, only way I can, I can try to explain it is through sports. As I remember years ago when I was playing high school basketball, I got, I got on fire one night. I didn't, miss, I didn't miss a three-pointer. I hit, I hit seven three-pointers in that game. I, I remember a few years then later, I was playing golf, and I just, got, I just got on fire. And I birdied five of the first seven holes. I'm like, man, this has never happened before. I mean, I was, I was in the zone. I, I felt the sweet spot. I was in the groove. That's what it means to be fully alive, that you find your sweet spot. You find your groove. You're in the zone. It really is this out-of-body experience it's a, of another world. And the reason why it's of another world is because you've given complete surrender of your life to Jesus who is not of this world. That's what it means to be fully alive in Jesus. It means that you're letting him lead. You're letting his thoughts become your thoughts. You're letting your hands become his hands. You're letting him direct your steps, guide your decisions, control your emotions, instruct you in your life, teach you how to behave and to glorify and please him. That's what it means to be fully alive in Jesus. You, here, here's one other statement though. Fully alive means that you are fully satisfied in Christ. Let me ask you, 
Are you fully satisfied in Christ? If you lost everything today, if you lost your job, you lost your house, you lost your family, you even lost the clothes on your back, would you be fully satisfied in Christ? That's fully alive. Where at the end of the day, the simple reduction in your life is Jesus and him alone. And when you get there, when I get there, we're fully alive. We're fully alive. But here's, here's the thing, though. We can't do it on our own. That is why we need the Holy Spirit. To be fully alive. To get to that place. We've got to be filled with the Spirit of God. Because it is the Spirit of God that Jesus has sent to us that we might live fully alive in him as we engage neighbors and nations in the world for the glory of God and his mission in the world. That is what we are all about. And here's what we're praying for. God, will you pour your presence and power and provision out on your people for the next 50 years and do what only you can do. So here's to the next 50. Let's pray. Father, we need you because this mission is not about us. It's about you and what you have been doing since the very beginning. And I do pray for us as Northland Church that this just wouldn't be a cute little mission statement that we went over one weekend, but that this would be a mission statement that directs our individual lives, that directs our families, and that directs our church. Because our why is in you, because you are our who that brought us into existence. And we want to glorify you. And it's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may stand with us.